So far, so good, huh? This is great that we get to meet with the Lord, and I'm so thankful that we get to do this together and that you have come today hungry to hear from the Lord and to hear from his word. So let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter five as we continue this new series called Blessings from the Mountain. So while you're turning there and getting your notes all ready to go, um, our goal in this series actually can be found at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this great sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew 7.24. Our goal is to hear the words of the Lord and then to put them into practice. And if we do, the promise is that if we do the work of applying the truths that we're learning about, then our lives will show that we have been wise builders, is what Jesus says. We will build wise homes and our houses will be built on the rock of Jesus Christ and his word. So I hope that you've come ready for that today and ready to hear the words of the Lord and put them to practice in your life. So Matthew 5, 1 through 4 is where we are today, and um, we're going to be zeroing in on verse 4, but I want to read everything coming up to that verse so that we have the context. Here we go. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I had a great experience this week um, with my 11-year-old granddaughter, Reagan. We got on the motorcycle, and if you know Reagan, you probably don't know Reagan, but you might, because she's like a bubbly little thing. She's like, you know, full of life, and she's kind of like her mommy, you know, where like when something good happens, it's the best ever. I don't know how many, that was the best ever that I have heard out of Amber and now out of Reagan. And Reagan has that personality. I love that personality. So um, I was, got my motorcycle out and um, I had promised the kids a ride. So I, I, I went over to the house and I picked Reagan up and I took her for a ride. And she was so excited and she gets on the motorcycle with me and from the very beginning, as soon as I revved the motor and took off, I started hearing, and I'll try to do it like her. She just loves it. She loves the speed. She loves being outside. And she would just scream and squeal with glee because of the ride. And there's this, there's this one point in the ride, and I, and I love doing this to them. There's, it's on County Road 10. And I know that the spot is there, but they don't. The kids don't know. So I've got her on the back, and we're going along. And what it is is there's a hill, and you start coming up the hill. But it's like a roller coaster. You get to the top of the hill, and you can't see because it's a, it's a real steep, right? But if you gun the motorcycle, if you gun it just as you hit the top, you get this feeling like you're popping a wheelie. And it's that feeling of your stomach going up in your throat, like you get on a roller coaster, you know? And so we went up and over. And as, as we were going, she's going, ah, ah, ah. She's like, it's like we're going chick, 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 chick on the, on, the, on, the, on the roller coaster. And then we hit that. 
And when we launched, all I heard was, oh! <laughs> oh my word, Poppy, she's screaming, oh my word, I just ran myself out of air. And she's squealing and she's laughing and she's got, she's full of glee and she just says, this is the best thing ever. And then she followed up with this, I'm getting myself a motorcycle and I'm doing this 24 seven. <laughs> and I just laughed all the way home and you know, just to, just, to, just to lay it into her, you know, just to pour it in just at the last minute, just before we got to the house, I gunned it again just to hear her squealing with glee as we went by the house. They always like me to go by the house instead of turning in, go up to the church, turn around and come back again. <laughs> Dropped her off, everything was great. Thank you, Poppy, love you, see ya. I head for home. I was smiling and I was chuckling about the whole thing, you know, and then something hit me like a ton of bricks as I pulled into my driveway. And I got really sad. And I began to muse on this thought. Is there some way that I can freeze her at 11 years old and freeze her innocence? Is there some way that as her poppy, I can figure out a way to insulate her from the cares of this world that I can protect her so that she'll never experience harm, so that she will go through life with yes, and like, exhaust herself with glee for the rest of her life until she enters the glories of heaven. God, is there a way that I can do that for her? And my heart breaks over the reality that there's no way I can do that. That because we're living in a broken world, bad things happen. Sometimes on our own. Sometimes because of well, things that we have done. Sometimes just because we live in a fallen, broken world. Sometimes wicked people do horrible things to us. And as I'm studying for this message, I'm contrasting the, the gleeful, innocent expressions of a young 11-year-old child who hasn't yet, thank God, experience some of the heartbreak that this world can bring with the words of David in Psalm 55. David, the king of Israel, um, went through a lot, and he experienced a lot of, of horrible things because of his own decisions that he made, but because of some wicked decisions made by the, on the part of others like King Saul who tried to kill him and was chasing him all over the wilderness. And there came a point in his life in Psalm 55 where David says, please listen to my prayer, oh God. Can you hear the anxiety? Can you hear the 
desperation in his voice. Please listen to my prayer, O God, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away from, to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape from this wild storm that I'm in. I'm really sorry that I'm very moved in my spirit today on this message. This is really close to home today, and so I'll just apologize now that I don't have to keep apologizing to you, because um, unfortunately, David echoes the cries of all men and women of this world who at one time or another, when life's trials mixed with eternal realities, turn our laughter into mourning, turn our 11-year-old squeals of glee into cries in the night, when things like loss and disappointment and tragedy, and discouragement. When those kinds of things come into our lives, they steal our innocence, and they rob us of our joy and peace. And we find ourselves wanting to cry out like David. Oh, if I could only escape. If I could only fly away and be at rest. If only I could find a little comfort from all this pain in my heart. All of us here, I'm certain of it, unless you're still 11 years old. It doesn't take much time on this earth to be able to relate to one degree or another to the desperate cry of David. Well, I've got good news for you. You want some good news? I have to blow my nose. What's the deal? Can you just, somebody, scientist, figure out why when you cry, you, your nose runs at the same time? It would be nice if one or the other happened. I'm going back to the pulpit, blowing my nose, and then I'll be ready. I told you. Uh, so I've got good news for you. Jesus said... Everybody in for happiness? Everybody in for blessing? Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the sad. (laughs) Come on. Comforted are the mournful. Seriously? Is this where he's gonna go? Now what's he doing, okay? Once again, 
Let me remind you that Jesus is turning everything upside down, which is what he does in the entire Sermon on the Mount. Once again, he's taking us to a place that is contrary to everything we know and everything we have been taught to pursue, especially those of us who are Americans, who have the constitutional right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Exactly right. Not only is it something we would like to pursue, you have the right to pursue it. And that's what we've been taught our whole entire lives. But Jesus says, stop pursuing that. Don't chase after that. Pursue mourning. Last week, what were we pursuing? Poor in spirit, humility. This week, pursue mourning. And if you pursue mourning, comfort and happiness will pursue you. I want you to remember this. I'll probably say it every time. So you should have it written down already. If not, write it down this time. If not, you can write it down next time. Jesus is not teaching us a new way to live every day. This message is not like, if you do this checklist, you will be happy. That's not what he's teaching you. What he's teaching us is a new way to think in our hearts that will result in a new way of living. And if we will learn how to retrain and reprogram our brains towards things like mourning, then we will know what it is to be happy, we will have his blessing, and we will find comfort. That's the reward of the mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, so what does he mean? Um, by that. Here's the definition of mourning, to mourn. Um, The act of sorrowing or a passionate lament. I'm actually going to use the word sorrowing probably for the rest of the time more than mourning, but because that's what it means. That's what mourning means, is this deep sorrow of the heart, a passionate lament towards something. It's, it has to do with a deep distress um, this, the, the, the horrible, deep sorrow that you feel from a broken heart, the ache in your soul that you've experienced, the anguish of your mind, these are the things that we're talking about today. This is what he's talking about. Blessed are those who mourn. That's what to mourn means. There's actually, once again, in the, we're keep, we keep getting Greek language um, instruction because you have to when you're studying this and you're thinking, okay, because we have to find out what does Jesus mean? Well, did you know that in the Greek there are nine different uses for the word mourn that we have in English? And so what is Jesus talking about? Which of the nine are Jesus dealing with um, when he's talking about mourning? Well, I'm not gonna go through all nine of them. But what I wanna do is look at three different categories of mourning and let's find out which category Jesus is in where he's talking to us. You ready for that? That's what you have on your notes. For the first category is this, general sorrow. This is what I would call normal everyday types of sorrows that we have that just are because we live in a world like we live in and life happens. These are the types of sorrows that that we have, sorrows like loneliness. Let me take you to some scripture passages on these two to help us see. Psalm 42, one to three, we're back at David again. And this is what David says when he had a loneliness in his heart. He 
he, he was far from God and he wanted to find God again. He wanted to get back in a relationship with God. This is what he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Listen to this. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Have you ever been there? You ever been to a place of deep loneliness where you're like, where are the people that I need in my life? Where is God at this time in my life? And because of this loneliness of the heart, because you're, for whatever reason, you're disconnected from everyone in your world, you cry out to God and maybe you've been to the place where your tears have been your food day and night. That's a part of life, that loneliness can be a part of the sorrow of our hearts. You know, it's interesting to me, did you, you notice that it took him to tears? This is what sorrowing does to us. Did you know that um, tears are a gift from God and something that he honors? Did you know that? <laughs> All the ladies are like, yes. All the men are like, It actually has been said that our ability to cry is a gift from God. God honors and he sees our tears. In fact, the Bible tells us that he stores our tears up in a bottle. Psalm 56, eight says that you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So like God has some kind of book, some kind of journal that when you, that tear drops, he throws a bottle under there and catches it, and then he goes, and he writes it down. He write, I don't know what he's writing down. He's probably writing down, on this date, your tear fell, and this is what your tear was about. And what I want you to know is that God cares about that. You ladies love to talk about tears. Men, not so much. Guys, you wanna take a vote? Tears. Macho or wimpy? <laughs> Macho, three hands. Wimpy, yes, everybody else. What's our problem? We have a problem. They say that weeping and sorrowing um, are the, like the release valve for our emotions. They say that if you hold it in and you don't let it out, if you keep it all locked up, it will actually poison your emotional character. I don't know what's in the heart of a man that does this. I don't know what's in my heart, but like there are some times where I have been so in, in a state of sorrow that I wanted to cry and the tears want to come. I have been to a place of desperation where if I, I thought my face, I could feel it getting bigger. I could feel the pressure. I could feel the emotion wanting to burst forth from myself. And for some reason, I, wanted, I don't wanna let it out. And so it starts to come, it's trying to come out. And it ends up looking like this. And something inside of me is going, no, don't let it out. That's a mistake. And I have learned some bad lessons about that. 
It is God's design for us in a time of deep sorrow, like David, for the tears to be my food day and night. Men, we need to learn a lesson on this. And not be so proud that we can't release and use the release valve that God has given to us. Enough of that. It's just supposed to be that way. Here's another kind of everyday normal, discouragement and defeat. I don't exactly know what was going on in Timothy's life, but Timothy was a pastor in a pretty hard church to pastor. And he was a timid pastor, we know that. He was intimidated by things. He was um, anxious about a lot. I think that there was some discouragement and probably some defeat that he was dealing with, and we can see that. Um, look at what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.3, where he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. Night and day, Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers, and I long to see you again. Why? Because I remember your tears. Evidently, the last time Paul had been, was with Timothy, Timothy, in tears, was sharing his heart. Pastor John, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here every week, but I'm glad you're here today. Um, I had the privilege of working underneath him for a lot of years. And I watched how his joy and his sorrow meter would do this as a pastor. Because you see, pastors who have shepherd's hearts, they care for the flock. And they care about what's happening. And sometimes we, we, we rejoice when you rejoice and we're super high when you are, but then we weep when you weep because you're going through some really hard times and our job is to come help shepherd you along with that. And John, I, I, all I gotta tell you is that you're like the best in those moments. You're one of the best shepherds that I have ever served underneath. And God has blessed you with a way that you're able to touch the hearts of people and touch their lives in those deep, dark times and bring a calm to our hearts when we're in those times. But don't think that that doesn't take a toll on him. And I don't know what was going on with Timothy necessarily, maybe a mixture of a bunch of things, but it, it came out to Paul in tears. Sometimes we get so down with discouragement and defeat that, that it is completely defeating us and we can't move forward because of the sorrow of all that. Disappointment is another one. Jeremiah wept, the scripture says, when he saw God's judgment coming upon the people of Israel because of their disobedience. And his sorrow and mourning were from the disappointment of, this, of the God's people when he wrote in Jeremiah 9, 11, if only my head, get this now, if only my head were a pool of, <coughs> excuse me, if only my head were a pool of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for my people. Death and loss, there's another one. I don't even want to touch this one. Except to say this. I love the chosen. 
You guys, have you been, are you into that? If you're not into the chosen, get into it. I think I'm on my third round of, of seasons one through three. Can't wait for 24 to come because season four is coming out. They do a fantastic job. They take a lot of liberties, though, that aren't unbiblical liberties. They're just liberties that they take, artistic liberties, um, in particular with the character of Jesus, and I love what they do. I love it. Um, you know, you, I see Jesus, I have seen Jesus in a way that I don't see him in the scripture. And that's a good thing, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's true. In fact, Jesus had a sense of humor. You can see it. You can see it when he calls James and John the sons of thunder. Okay. But that part of him is not described in the scriptures. That's why we don't see him like that. What is described of Jesus in the scriptures? Remember what happened at the graveside of Lazarus? He wept. He wept. His heart was full of sorrow for his friend and his friends at the loss of, of Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept, wept over the people of Israel who have turned their backs on him. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitter grief. Jesus knew what it was, and he knows what we deal with when it comes to death and loss. I'm sorry, but the old song popped into my head when I was preparing this that goes like this. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? In other words, I can't even sing. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? When my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks, does he care for me? Does he see? What's the answer? Oh, yes. yes. He cares. I know that he cares. His heart is touched, come on, sing, with my grief. This is for all of us. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Thanks, friend. Thanks for serving me like that, buddy. Matthew eleven twenty eight proves that song. Come to me, Jesus said. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? Anybody in need of rest because of the sorrows of this world? There is rest for your souls when you go through those sorrows. But guess what? Jesus isn't talking about general sorrow. He's not talking about these kinds that we just, that we all experience. He cares about you. In fact, he, the Bible says that he is the father of compassion 
and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. He cares about those things for his people. He cares about the sorrow that you carry and the heavy burden that you carry. You can bring it to him and you can leave it to him, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Maybe he's talking about illicit worldly sorrow, which is the second one that I have down here, the second category, illicit worldly sorrow. This is the sorrow that comes from the wickedness in our hearts when we don't get what we want and when we want it and we can't satisfy our lust for more. I call this infant sorrow, big baby sorrow. This is what little kids do when they can't get their way. This is what little babies do when they spill their milk. Let me attempt it, make an attempt at that. (laughs) <laughs> I want it I want my milk it's when, they, it's when they want their toy and they can't have it because mommy took it away from them because they did something <laughs> I want my toy or Johnny takes it from them they took my toy I want it right now and I'm not going to be happy until I get what I want Right now. Sorry about that. (laughs) There's a man in the scripture, um, back to David, which is David's son. His name was Amnon. Amnon fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, Tamar was his half-sister because David had multiple wives and had children with different wives. So it's his his half-sister. But the scripture tells us that Amnon loved his sister. Okay, just side note, he didn't. He loved himself. But it says that he loved his sister so much and he was so obsessed with getting her sexually that he wept and mourned until he made himself sick. He mourned over her because he (laughs) couldn't get what he wanted. And he was pitching a fit, and it turned into mourning. Day after day, the scripture says, he hung his head and he cried because of the lust he had in his heart for her until the day came that he tricked her into coming into his house, into his room, alone, and he raped her. When he finally got what he wanted, he found rest for his longing soul. He was at perfect peace. He was happy, and he was blessed. He had bought for himself satisfaction and fulfillment because he went after what he wanted and got what he wanted because of the deep sorrow in his soul that he couldn't have what he wanted when he wanted it, right? Isn't that what we think? Isn't that what we think when we want the thing that we can't have and we shouldn't have and we mustn't have? We think if I can only have it, I will be happy. I've got to have it. Well, what did I say at the very beginning of the sermon? Blessings chase the, come on, blessings chase the, 
righteous. What chases the wicked? Mm. Samuel, 2 Samuel 13, 15. He rapes his sister and suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Wow. Proverbs 30 describes a man like him. There are those who are filthy and unwashed. They have teeth like swords and fangs like knives. They devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among humanity. They are like the leech that has two suckers that cry out, more, 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 and yet they are never satisfied. Blessed are those who mourn. Is this what Jesus is talking about? Not at all. Not this kind of mourning. The Bible says God will not despise the broken and contrite heart, but he opposes this kind of a person. You don't want to be, can I just tell you, you don't want to be on the opposite side of God's opposition. It's a bad, bad place to be. He actually calls this worldly sorrow. And he says that worldly sorrow, the Bible tells us in, I'm gonna take you there in just a second, leads us to death. This is not the sorrow that Jesus is talking about. This is not the mourning that he is requiring of us. What he is requiring of us, write it down, is godly sorrow. That's what he wants from us. Let me show you it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul writes this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. There is a path to the blessing. There is a path to the comfort from the Lord. And that is godly sorrow which takes us down a road of repentance, which takes us down the road of no regret and salvation. But, he says, worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is, and some of us get caught up in this, and don't, don't think that you don't because you do, and don't say that you don't because you do. And I'll be able to prove it just by talking to your husband or your wife. Godly, worldly sorrow is, I'm really sorry that this happened. And there is sorrow that you, that, that you did something. I'm really sorry that this happened. I'm really sorry that I did this. But I'm more sorry that I got caught than I am that I did it. I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I have to deal with these negative consequences that have come my way as a result of my actions and what Paul is saying is there is no life at the end. There is no salvation. There's no satisfaction. There is no life at the end of that road. There is death at the end of that road. You want salvation? You want forgiveness? Then you've got to come down a different road, and that's called the road of godly sorrow that brings you to repentance. It's not just about confession. I did it. Okay, that's, that's important. Confession is the beginning. But you have to, before confession, you've got to come to a place where the Holy Spirit convinces you through the word and convicts you of the sin that you have committed against that person or against God or both because if you commit a sin against the person, you also commit a sin against God. 
And then you have to confess that sin before the Lord. And you have to say to him the same thing that he says about it. It was wrong, it is sin, I have transgressed against this person, or I have transgressed against you, or both. And then what that leads to is the fruit of repentance. And I don't have time to go into it, you know that because you're keeping track of the time. I don't have time to go into what the fruit of repentance is, but if you go ahead and study the rest of 2 Corinthians 7, you'll be able to see, look what this fruit of repentance brings out of you. Because you truly have godly sorrow over it. You're not just sorry that it, it happened. You're truly sorry that you have, and you have this poor in spirit attitude towards yourself and your view of yourself and before God. You come to him hum, in, in humility and you repent. The fruit of repentance is, I'll take whatever punishment comes my way. I am disgusted with myself. I am totally horrified in myself that I have done this horrible thing. What must I do to make it right? I'll do whatever. I'll take whatever consequences comes my way. That's a godly sorrowful person. A worldly sorrowful person is like, hey, stop with the pressure, okay? I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm over it, you get over it. Forgive me and forget it. That is not a repentant person. That is not a godly sorrowful. A godly sorrowful person that says, you take all the time you need to get over the pain that I have caused you. I will work the rest of my life to make it right. That's what Jesus is looking for. That's what Jesus wants. This is the morning that draws the gaze of your father, which brings the compassion and the comfort and salvation. Admission is not the same as confession and confession is not the same as contrition. And Jesus is going for contrition. Contrition looks like Peter after denying Christ. Remember when he denied him? Can you imagine being Peter? I tell you, I don't know who he is. And you hear the rooster crow. And you look through the courtyard and there's Jesus and Jesus looks at you and you look him in the eyes right after you've denied him. You and I have been there. I have been there. Where I have denied him with my life. I have denied him with something in my life. I have held something back. I have openly denied him just to catch his gaze and the sorrow that you feel. The Bible says that Peter went out of that courtyard and he wept bitterly. After David had his adulterous affair, after he had his adulterous and murderous affair with Bathsheba, tried to cover it up. You bet he was sorry. You could see that he was sorry what he did. You know, a baby resulted, so he tries to cover it up, tries to get Uriah home, lay with your wife so that you blame it on the, blame the baby on you. No, I'm not gonna do that. My, my buddies are out there in the field. I'm not gonna do it. So David has him killed. I mean, just horrible story. He was sorry that it happened and, and you can even read that his soul was wrenched to its depths. But he kept sinning over and over and over to cover and hide his sin and at that point, 
It was worldly sorrow. You need to hear me on this, okay? It's not just unbelievers that do worldly sorrow. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7 is written to believers. And the warning is, don't fall into the pit of worldly sorrow. What God and God honors and, and draw, what draws the, the, the blessing of God in your life is godly sorrow, Re, repentant sorrow. Don't be all about, I'm sorry I got caught and I gotta try to fix this, I gotta try to cover it up. No, that's, that is not what God wants from his people. David actually fell into that. And Psalm 32 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. As long as David covered his sin, it ate him up inside is what's happening here. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. His soul was completely parched during this time of cover up. All the life sucked out of his being until he repented with godly sorrow, which you can read in Psalm 32, five, where he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Psalm 51 tells us what it sounded like. Here's what it sounded like. This is, you wanna know what true repentance, godly sorrow sounds like? Here it is. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. I can't get it out of my head. I can't get it out of my heart. So verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Are you listening, my friends? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are truly sorrowful for their sin, who confess their sins and forsake their sins and turn from their wicked ways. Those are the ones that will be happy and their sins will be forgiven They will be covered by the waters of the deepest sea, the scripture says, and be remembered against you no more. There's where the comfort comes. There's where the joy comes. There's the restoration and the salvation. This godly sorrow is is an invitation for all people. Sorry, I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to figure out how to land this plane here. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. The invitation is for everybody. to come to God with godly sorrow, poor in spirit. For the unsaved person, the person who I might be talking to right now, here in the room or, or in your living room or wherever you are online with us, you know you don't know God yet. You know you aren't saved yet. 
You know you haven't come to a point of repentance and sorrow and brokenness over your sin. The invitation to you is get on your knees and crawl to the throne of grace and ask for forgiveness. Humble your heart and, and cry out to God. Have mercy on me. Save me. Wash me from this sin. And the promise is if you come, he will forgive you. And he will bless you. He'll restore you. He'll heal you. If you would just come, it's your choice. Blessings chase the righteous. Now let me talk to the rest of us. Don't make the mistake of in your shame trying to cover up the sin. Don't make the mistake of in your shame saying, I can't come to God. It's too big. It's too shameful. I can't face him. That's when you need to get low to the point where you say, on your knees, God, I'm pierced through because of my sin. You know when it's hardest for me is when I'm coming back again for like the 35,000th time. That's a mistake to say I can't go back to God. The invitation is there's blessing, there's forgiveness, and comfort for your soul if you'll mourn. If with godly sorrow you come to the throne of grace. I'm gonna close with this. James says to us, humble yourselves before God. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. It's good, men, it's good. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Over what? Over your condition. Humble yourselves before the Lord and what will be the result? He will lift you up in honor. There's the reward. This whole message is this. Live a life of humility, that's being poor in spirit. 
and live a life of repentance, mourning over your sin and your condition before the Lord. And live that life of humility and repentance every single day. Every day. These are the people that God looks upon with his blessing and he's anxious to reward us with comfort in the middle of it all. Now what? What do we do with that? Repent. Some of us need to have a session with God today. It will be a mistake for you to walk out of here knowing that you need to have a session with God and get right with God on some things. And not do it. Some of you need to come to Jesus today for the first time and repent of your sins and find, you will find salvation and you will find forgiveness. It would be a mistake for you to walk out of here today not having done that work. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I know what he's called me to do during this week. And I've done a lot of soul searching and I've done a lot of repenting. I've done a lot of sorrowing in my heart because I'm not where I should be and where I need to be and where God wants me to be. But that's where God wants us is right there. Will you do it? Will you do the work? Maybe you're like, I don't know how. I'm stuck. Good. That's a good start. And we have, our whole team will be up in the front here that would love to pray with you over that and talk to you about that and get you on a path to recovery out of that. And if you need to be saved today, I want in on that. I want to help you find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to repent of your sin and I want to help you with that. You just come on up here and say, help me with that, Phil. We will help you with that. Okay, you guys all right? Man, race and get your children or whatever we need to do. All right, we gotta stand together and let me pray. God bless you as you go. Lord, I, I just wanna just ask you to help us with this. This is not easy for us. This doesn't come natural for us. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. And so we ask for that and help us all to go out with a, a realization of who we are in a, in a contrite spirit and heart and in humility and poor spirit, understanding who you are and who we are and that we would just sit at your feet at the throne of grace to receive your help and your guidance and your strength and your blessing, Lord. We ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. I love you. God bless you on your way out. Love on somebody else, okay? <laughs>